Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to this week's episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. I want to take a second and thank everybody listening in here on this Easter Sunday morning, and I hope everybody gets to spend a little time with family today. Now, this week's guest was an incredible recommendation who came from you listeners. Miles Kingdon is a Canadian cowboy who spent the lion's share of his life horseback. And in this episode, Miles shares an extremely personal story and how the horse helped him to find forgiveness, learn strength, and invest in others. Miles is a man of incredible wisdom, and in this episode, you will hear him refer to his recently published book. The title of the book is Beyond the Next Ridge, and is a reflection of Miles' life. Now, after listening to this episode, should you have further interest in reading this book, we have placed the email address in which you can place the orders for the book in our email button on Instagram. Go to Let Freedom Reign Podcast on Instagram, click the email button, go ahead and place the order for as many copies as you wish. And as usual, a thank you is an order to our following. Each and every one of you mean the world to us. It is incredible to watch the reach of this show grow as you all share Let Freedom Raid podcast word of mouth and on social media. Every week, I receive some of the most inspirational messages from all over the world, and it's great affirmation that we're all on the right track. When we invest in the horse and invest in others, we in turn invest in ourselves. I hope you all get to enjoy the incredible wisdom of a great man. Here is Mr. Miles Kingdon. Mr. Miles Kingdon, good morning, sir. Good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm rested up a little bit finally. It takes a few days to wind down and uh, good to be here and it's nice to talk to you. Yeah, we got we to gotta first uh, give a thank you to one of our listeners, Alicia, who had recommended you as a guest on the show. And, and after reaching out to you, I am very appreciative of your willingness to be on the show and share with us today. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm honored for this opportunity, um, Alicia. It does listen to your show a lot. I had not heard about it before because in the cowboy world, techie means I can answer a call and I can send a call and occasionally <laughs> take pictures with my iPhone. <laughs> and, bef- and before me starting a podcast, that was the extent of my experience as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's good to be introduced to this. No, it's it's very exciting world. And it's like I said, it's very new to me, but it's creating opportunity in a network of some of the most phenomenal horsemen now um, across the world and we're trying to bring bring a level of expertise to people and bring some resources to some people who want to expand not only in horsemanship but in life in general you know because there's so much value and you and I have had numerous conversations throughout the work you know and we we really touched on the point that everybody has a story right and this show allows our guests to mm-hmm. share those stories and and we'll obviously get into yours here over the next hour or so but I know you've been on the road, so why don't you kind of explain a little bit of what you've had going on and how the last couple of weeks have been going for you. I know it's nice to be home and, and breathe some, some fresh air. It sure is. The place where we live is a very peaceful little place. It's 160 acres in the interior of British Columbia, which is, well, if, uh, if we drive out of here, it would take us three hours to get down to the area around Vancouver steady driving um we go through a mountain pass and um 
the interior where we live uh, is uh, the Nicola Valley. It's all cattle country. It's nice to be here. It's a beautiful country. And when I came into the valley, oh, 40 years ago now, just about 40 years ago, it was, uh, I thought to myself, I looked at them windswept hills of grass, bunch grass, and I thought, this is home. This is where I'm staying. So, yeah, I, I did... Um, these uh, workshops I've been doing, um, I did, uh, I've been doing some down at Faithful Farm, which is Alicia and Clay Bradburn's place. And they have a wonderful place and um, they have a great following of people. There are no coincidences that we're getting a lot of like-minded people there. Uh, it does attract a, a nice group. And then I went on the road with a buddy of mine who was a cancer survivor and he wanted to make a trip down to, uh, the border by Yuma and back up again on motorbike from uh, Tri-Cities in Washington. So we, we put on 3,000 miles in in uh, about seven days. And and then I worked with Bruce Sandifer, who is the president of the, the California Bridal Horse Association and founder and a very, very, one of the most knowledgeable guys I know in respect to the California traditions and i came home and did another one and my wife went to visit her friend in maryland and back and so we're we've been home for a couple of days together for a month so it's been busy but good it's been good yeah i was gonna say busy nonetheless and with all the time that you spend in a saddle i'm i'm very much surprised that you would be willing to spend another three thousand miles on a bike in a week <laughs> yeah well it's all riding that energy energy in in motion and it's that's a good deal we saw a lot of beautiful country we were cold we were hot and uh we ate some good food and saw some great sights it was it was a lot of fun really it was good that's incredible now let's get into a little bit of your history you've spent the lion's share of your life on horses as a working cowboy let's start with kind of your inception or introduction to the horse and then some of the jobs that you've had throughout the years and and some of your experiences and We'll start getting into the lion's share of lessons learned throughout life and how you apply what you learn in horsemanship to how you conduct business in life. Well, we'll get right into the get right into the good stuff. So we had I grew up on a mixed farm in Saskatchewan, southern Saskatchewan. We were uh, I could see at nighttime the lights from the towns in North Dakota. We were in fact our dentist was in Crosby, North Dakota. So that's where we lived on the prairies and 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 um, my parents, we lived kind of at the end of the road, and they needed teams for, at one time, field work. And um, to do chores in the wintertime, we had tractors, but Dad used to drain the tractor blocks because, rather than fight to get them started and fight to keep them running. So a team just was 10 minutes, you could have them harnessed up and doing your chores and feed them up and you're done. So we, we had teams, and there a horseman was a teamster, and a teamster could be a horseman. And so living on the prairies, it was, uh, you know, you, 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 you look at the flat land around you, and in the springtime you have the prairie flowers, you have the birds, and you hear the wind. So your imagination puts a young person, uh, that's our entertainment. We didn't have Xbox or anything like that. We really had good TV with them antennas up on top of the roof and uh, 
what we just I just spent a lot of time dreaming about being a cowboy and and going places a horseback and there was a government pasture south of us and um, and we used to watch them guys moving cattle and off in the distance and and hear them occasionally you'd hear their yells at the cattle and you'd hear the ball of cows and and it it was magical that was my dream there were many things I wanted to do I love music. I like the military, and and um, and I thought, no, you know what? Uh, I just stayed with a horse, and I think I picked the best of both worlds. I came out to uh, British Columbia. My cousin was working at Douglas Lake Ranch and Douglas Lake Cattle Company at the time, and and we, um, I came out in 1981. I had been riding government pastures in the summer times back there and then i decided now i want to see what this is all about and when i drove into the nicola valley i looked around me and i thought oh, this is home there was cattle this little valley there was like sixty thousand head of cattle in this valley and there was cowboys all over the place and cow camps and horses galore and i thought you can this is this is like heaven on earth yeah i was gonna say you just found your mecca and um oh man i was just so free and we were all just like all us kids on the crew and there was a lot of competition to get on the cruise there was so many you know in the springtime you'd show up that there'd be guys sitting outside sleeping in a pickup truck with a bed roll and a saddle in the back of the truck and they'd be waiting for a job hoping they'd get a job if there was a spot on the crew and crews were big and there was there was a lot of competition and all us young fellas we uh of course the uh, uh, crews were heavy with uh heavy to the end you know a lot of native at one time it was the crews were all native people and everybody here was if they weren't a cowboy they were a cook and there were some loggers in the valley but there was a lot of cowboys up and down this valley so there was to get a spot on the crew you had to uh oh you had a grunt that's putting it mildly and if you if they found it the old timers found that you were really hanging in there and really trying and yet you liked the creators you were working with they'd give you some information and they'd help you out with that because all too often they'd give it to somebody who would abuse it and move on or whatever and and so there's reasons why the old timers were a little bit selective of who they gave it to and 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 and, and a lot of it too was that the era they were working with the fellas that i learned from were fellas who you know, had worked with guys that came out of the, the Second World War, and them guys are coming home. We can't hide that fact. They were, they were rough old boys. Yes, and yes. so their spot on the crew. If you're going to say something, you had better be. You're going to be held accountable for it. So a lot of it was kept inside. People, you know, I talk to people. Let's say, and I tell them these stories. Well, why would they hold that information, and why wouldn't they give that information out? But myself i can see where i was a little bit apprehensive about opening up too much of myself and 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 you know you, when it comes right down to it you're up at three o'clock in the morning you're jingling horses in the dark which uh you know jonathan talked about jingling and on and i heard that uh, that he so you you know what jingling is yeah i was going to say quite quite the task in and of itself i mean people have a hard time catching the horse when it's in a stall let alone wild country <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning yeah and so your horse you kind of rely on your horse to not stumble in a hole or fall and roll over top of you or and even to find the other horses because you, you tend to give the horse's head 
because, and that's very important because you might as well just ride through your life, close your eyes, or have somebody blindfold you and say, there you go. We'll have a nice ride. Yeah. It's going to be fast, and you're going to be running behind horses, and there's going to be branches hitting you in the face that you don't know are coming. And um, anyway, that's those are some of the the slighter things that we had to deal with. Those those things you you learn pretty quick. It's not easy, and you do have to grunt, and um, and everybody has to because that's what that's what keeps you in the job that's what uh, you might see a young person who has a lot of try but they're not willing to to accept it as you know what it is cold today but we've got a job to do you know what it is really hot today we've got a job to do you know what it is raining or snowing down your neck but you do have a job to do because you're here to help me and i'm here to help you i was going to say it sounds like this whole experience for you and your early start I mean, really lay a lot of solidified foundation that that maybe the current generations don't get, right? As far as com- not only commitment to yourself, right? Going out to see a job or get a job, but commitment to the crew, teamwork, dedication. It seems like you were put in a position to to somewhat grow up fast, right? And And learn these lessons now, because if you don't learn them as expediently as you did, you don't have a job. Oh, big time. That's very important. And, you know, uh, on the cruise, there's a lot of banter, and some of it, it's, it gets a little rough at times. And uh, I look at the world today, and I think it's unfortunate that there's so many that would come to me and say, you need to do things this way, and the other half of the population is just waiting for a great opportunity to be offended. Yes. And I can't I can't say that, that them harsh words or getting a moniker hanged on you, uh, getting name-called, is bashing at a time like that because in those, in some places, yes, it is. Verbal bullying can be the worst bullying there is because a sock and a jaw from somebody you can give back, and it's done. Yeah. But verbal bullying is never is never really dealt with in a lot of cases and it is it is bullying but on the cruise you get called them names and you would have to toughen up because they needed you to toughen up because they saw in you the stuff that would help them mm-hmm. and they'd slam you they'd slam you with something that would really uh, hurt your ego but you tried harder and years later you'd look at them and they're talking to you kindly because they're really happy that you made it and that's where it came from. It's incredible. And I think about it from a training or coaching standpoint. I was very much brought up in that sink or swim mentality that you describe. And that's a lot of my experiences, whether it was in, in athletics or in my professional life. And I do believe you have to have some element of grit, right? It's just, that's life. Life is going to be tough. It ain't going to be easy all the time. And you got to start developing some skills within yourself to deal with it. That being said, I often wonder how many times we, as the training or the experienced crew, wash some good guys out because maybe they don't just quite have that personality, but they can learn that skill set, right? And now I try to place more of an emphasis on mentoring rather than this, this quote-unquote old-school mentality of, or, of sink or swim because... It takes a special person to be faced with a challenge and see it through, right? And find the answer. Some people 
just don't have that element in them. Yet, if they were given an opportunity or posed a, a challenge or a set of problems and kind of coached in a way where, hey, we have this set of cattle up on the hill. This is the approach and the tactics that we're going to take on it. Go show us what you got versus, hey, go get those cows for me, you know. I think you can bring a lot more people up to speed. I think you can build a lot more proficiency in people. And in no way am I saying that we should we should hug everybody and give everybody a participation trophy because it's the facts of life. Not everybody's cut out for every profession. That being said, I think we need to place more of an emphasis on mentoring and teaching. And I know you, that pendulum has kind of swung in your life as well, obviously because of the amount of workshops that you've been doing. So when in your career did you come up with this mentality or, or, or formulate this approach of, I do have some valuable skills, I do have some valuable knowledge, I need to give back a little bit? Well, where do I start? There's so much, so much water passed under the bridge. And it's, um, well, I wrote a book. If you buy the book, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, guys. We're not going to talk about anything for the next five no. minutes. You're going to go online. You're going to buy That's Miles' book. Right. And, Just... and there's the answer to that question for you. <laughs> Boy, my wife would give me a pat on the shoulder for that one. But anyway, I, I gotta say, I, I do, I do want to talk about this. When I started cowboying, like I said, I worked with a lot of the natives, and a lot of the guys that helped me out were would. Uh, and my my buddy Bruce, he, he has a term prop them prop them up, and that's because you care. If the words were harsh, they were better than no words, yeah. because. They cared because they saw something of value. Not talking, not communicating tells me it's time to move on because that environment has nothing for me. When I cowboyed, uh, there was, a, in particular, there was an older native gentleman who had been a, a cowboy, a cow boss on an outfit uh, before me, and and he would ride out with us. He was seventy years old that year. He would. He was. He was sixty nine when I was when at the busy time of our year. And I'd rope his. He said to me, he called me good man, and I was just a kid on the crew, you know, just twenty years old, and and uh, which is a man when you're someplace that you are polished with what you do. But in on those crews with those men. No, you're the kid. And and he said, good man, you catch my horse for me first, case." Okay? So me and the foreman, we'd rope out these horses for the screw, and I'd catch his horse first, and he'd be saddled up. And when we were saddling up, you hear his horse's feet going already because he needed that little bit of time to get his horse ready before he got on, and we were riding. We were riding in the dark. And he said to me one time, one day... Good man, he called me the boy to the other fellas. You're going to be the boss. I said, no, sir, I'm not. I just want to be a cowboy till the day I die. You listen when I'm talking. One day you're going to be the white hat. And later on that year, he was gone. And so many of the things that he said, it's almost like God tapped him on the shoulder and put the words in his head. And 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 those that's a very these things happen as you get older you see them happen a lot and I've been very fortunate to see them happen a lot and I did eventually was offered 
a jigger boss job and then a cow boss job and then it just uh, it seemed to work out okay for me. It's not like I sure wanted to be a boss, but with a house full of kids, um, it, it 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 helps to make a little bit more than five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> just a little so bit. I did. I yeah. So I I took them on and and um, and uh, actually got it was very stressful for a while because being a young man and a young father and all this responsibility. If if tree if you know all the responsibilities in your life could be likened onto a tree, I was in a really thick forest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hear it was you. a bit overwhelming at times. Yeah, but every yeah every once in a while I'd have a, an old timer come and work with me, and he'd give me some you know he'd say something to me, and I would think, wow, I was always able to listen, and that helped me a great deal. And um, so I I be, I was a running an outfit in a really remote area of British Columbia, rough country. And um, it was, we had a pack in, we lived out of pack boxes all summer. And then the the crew moved the, the, uh, the camp to a camp that we could actually drive to on an old forest service road. So we were cleaning out that camp in September, the end of September. And the cows were started from home out of that country and so uh, we had two pickups i took my pickup up and there was another one for them to pack their supplies in out of camp and come out the back way and uh it was a pretty soft shoulder on the road and long story short it was the one day that i had my three sons we had a daughter at home and i wanted to take my sons with me to spend the day with them and Well, we tumbled into uh, we tumbled into uh, a lake, a very deep lake. It was a man-made lake, and uh, and as uh, it was dark, it was raining. And as I surfaced, I I I I was hollering and yelling and screaming for somebody to help. And I saw the lights coming from the truck behind me, from the cowboys, and I and I was screaming for somebody to come help. And I watched the taillight fade off into the distance, and I dove, and then I could hear things coming up in the water, and I thought they were my boys, and I was not able to get them. But they found me on the road quite a ways up above. I had my boots off, and I was laying on the road, and I had hypothermia and a concussion at that time. Um, And I recall later when I got over the shock which took years that I would hear again them they're crying out to help and I was not able to get to them and no parent is prepared to hear those things but I recall going to a white place that I did not want to come back from. And a voice that I'd heard when I was a little boy, since I was a little boy, there's something you can't stay. There's something very important for you to do. And then I was in that situation in the lake and I was swimming and trying to dive and I could not get them. I could not find them. And... 
my heart was heavy for a long time, and uh, I made mistakes that I viewed as mistakes that were actually part of the learning curve, the trail that I was supposed to cover to get to where I am today. You understand? Yes, sir. And I did not want to come back to this because I did not want to tell their mother that I could not bring them home. And I did not want to hear them voices anymore. I liked being a dad. I was a wild cowboy to cowboys. If you're not a little bit harem scarum, you're not going to stick on the job on some of these big outfits. And, um, and uh, the, the, the cowboy lifestyle and my, my upbringing on the farm, preparing our own beef and feeding it and then preparing it for the table did prepare me in a big way. So I was, uh, God did place me with the right parents and the right crew and the right people. So I was prepared for it. Although you think yourself at the time, nothing can prepare you for this. And... And I kept thinking about this as I went back cowboy, and I took another cow boss job on when I didn't think I was ready, but it was a blessing for me. And the people that were managing, the couple that were managing the ranch next to that ranch moved my wife and my daughter there. And they, they, the, the people, the man and his wife, who were holding the cow boss job at that time, were very supportive of us. They they were very strong for us, and they they moved on, and they now uh, Tim and Chris, and they have a publication out of Vegas, and and uh, they were they they were been uns, unswervable for us, and the managers at the gay at, at the gang ranch were as well. So I took a cowboy's job on there, and it was actually what I needed because my feet would hit the floor when my alarm went off, and I would get busy. My feet would hit the floor and I would get busy. There was people who were waiting. There was a job to be done and there was a lot of responsibility and I needed to do it. And uh, looking back on my and, and living with that accident, I, I, I did make myself sick and I ended up with cancer over it. And we fought that and got over that. And um, the wife, my wife and, and I did not went on able to salvage the rest of our marriage so we moved on not a fault just not knowing how to deal with things so I thought so where does this leave me after this you know there were some very lonely times and I don't think I'd, I'd been as lonely as I was then and I was sitting on top of a horse one time just cowboying for my old boss I went back to work for him at Kulshana and I was sitting on the hill, and the coyote was howling out in the distance, and the sky was starting to turn gray, and I had my horse was huffing and puffing from the climb. And I was just giving him a minute to blow, and I thought to myself, now the, where is the forest of responsibilities? I'm the only tree on this hill. Uh, me and my horse, of course, I thought. And so then, you know, there was always the horse, and the horse always gave me what I wanted. The horse will give you what you put into it. If this is what you come up to him with, 
expect that back. And it did hit me very hard that I guess this is what I was supposed to be doing. And as time went on, young guys would ask for help with this horse or that horse, and it was an honor that somebody would ask because I didn't want to step in and just give uh, this knowledge, uh, walk up to somebody's space and say, here's how. How do I know where their thought process is unless I watch, like you watch a young colt? This is not a program. This is a feel. And I only get that from watching or hearing. So as time went on, I I, uh, I thought about my old partner, George, and he was... He was right. He said, when you get to be the boss, he said, that's your chance to treat all your partners right. And it rang like a bell to this day. And it, I did, I helped. It was an opportunity as cowboys of Koshana to, in my mind, my wife and I, today, we, Boston uh, and I were just, we cowboyed together many years together, a lot of, a lot of hard circles, stirrup to stirrup, you know. When I looked over, she was always there. And so then I was doing this job, and it was, I thought, what a great opportunity to train a young crew of cowboys to train the herd of cows to better look after your grasslands and to train their horses in a nice way in, in them old traditions. And I, I felt like I was swimming against the stream a long time trying to do it the old way instead of just getting it done and going home because you're tired. It's tough to hold a certain standard when you're tired and the crew's tired and you can see them tired and you, and you think, I'd rather do it myself than make them do it. And um, then time went on and they uh, the ranch sold and then, they opened the gate and we were free to go where we wanted to go and the family looked after us very well that we had worked for but we just weren't sure which direction to go and now I can say there was still the workshops there was still the horses there was still the horse and for quite a little while I thought to myself no I'm just going to change my my life I've had the best with the horse I've I've uh, we traveled one of the old timers on the ranch said to us one time that he penciled it out. We averaged 5,000 miles a year a horseback. And where I doubted it and snickered at it, the old, another old guy said, no, he's right. And some of the outfits I worked on were a little less, some close to the same, and a couple a little more, if that can seem possible. But it was. I do know what it's like to have a cavy of 120 horses sick of seeing a cowboy and all skinny and the cowboys as skinny as they were and not wanting to see a horse either, you know, <laughs> for a while. Uh, so I will tell you in, in listening to your testimony and reflecting on the very brief life of this show, we oftentimes talk a lot about tragedy and we talk a lot about pain and we talk a lot about suffering and I will tell you this I have a profound respect for you as a father and as a horseman and as a leader and a human being because for you to experience what you experienced at the lake that day 
and for you to have the foresight to listen to a higher power and for you to have the foresight to fight through things and find a way to be successful, not only for yourself, but for those around you and to take all of the experiences and lessons learned from all of the miles that you traveled in the saddle and now pass that on to future generations of horsemen. I think commendable is an understatement. It's, it's an incredible story that you share. These are extremely personal and intimate details in, in no way, shape or form. Was this an expectation of mine in this episode that you would share such, such personal detail and, and, and my hat's off to you. It's a very heartfelt and genuine respect that I have for for the man that you are today. Well, I thank you. It's all very life can be very humbling and and you don't you don't maybe see it's hard to see whether I'm this good or that talented or that good or that nice or you just don't see that you see first of all as a human i have understood anxiety and i can look back on it and i can say i understand empathy i have been humbled so i do have empathy for others and that has been if you don't have it life can you can knock it into you, and um, and I, I just know as a horseman, I'm at a spot now where I, I see all the things that I don't know or don't fully understand, or how much more there is to gain. And and it's uh, I guess it's like I said to my friend Bruce, I you just I've learned so much from so many guys, Stan and Orville and Peter and 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 Bruce too uh, were very and my father, uh, all the guys that I worked with, uh, Jake, George, you know, it goes on and on, and everything I learned was I, I've learned something from everybody I've ever worked with. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that I used all of it. Uh, one thing I can say is very important. I've ridden enough horses, enough miles, that I know that what it feels like when you climb on the horse, where you step in the middle of the horse, and now I have four feet, and I know I have to ride. I'm riding really one foot at a time, one step at a time through this life, and and it's like. Um, you, uh, like Peter said, to you know, you ride the horse from where the horse is. He said Tom told him that, and it was it was well, well passed on knowledge. And thankfully, there was somebody to pass it on. And I thought about that as well. There's somebody to pass it on. If I can save somebody, some of that pain and some of that anxieties, I sure will. As you talked there, you made a statement that that struck a chord deeply. And a lot of this show is about how the horse helps heal human beings, right? And in a moment, I'd like to talk about mm -hmm. a little bit of the work that you do with members of the military. Very briefly, early on, you spoke about your affinity and your, your love for that. 
But if you think about life this way, right, we as human beings experience the hands that we're dealt, whatever God has in our path for us. And on the road to recovery, we do have the two feet that we were given if we were blessed. And, and we can walk that re- road to recovery with our own two feet. But how much more success can we have, like you said, when we, when we step into that saddle and now we use the four feet of the horse and, and we have twice as many feet on the ground walking that path to success and walking that path to recovery. And, and I think a lot of it touches back on legacy and, and like you talked about sharing your experiences to help others. And I would like you to briefly kind of elaborate. Earlier in the week, we discussed a lot about how horses can help heal our veterans and, and a lot of the stresses and anxieties that they face coming back from combat. If you could please briefly share some of your experiences with, with combat veterans and what you've done to help them. Now, first of all, I want to say that I did not under any way, shape or form have the, the, uh, <laughs> forethought to 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 uh, know how to put an organization together to help combat veterans or, or military with PTSD or or police force with PTSD but there as I've talked to be, about before was that there are no coincidences and it's God we think to ourselves I would like to help that and in time, somebody comes to you, and and uh, it turns out to have a story. Well, can I ride with you? Sure you can. We're riding out early. That's fine. A friend of mine who was uh, a combat veteran from, from Iraq, and then he became an officer in the police force in uh, a big city in the States. And I'll leave it at that. He said to me, you know, he said, I'm watching you walk around and you're doing things and I'm following you. He said, are you not bothered by my following you? And I said, uh, no, I got stuff to do. He said, well, let me say that that's the best way that I found to learn. He said, because I see what you're doing and I try to mimic and emulate what you're doing so I can do it as well. Maybe one day and, and uh, even just doing chores, this goes here, that goes there, this horse gets that much, so on and so forth. And they would ride with me, and uh, and I would hear their story. And then it happened again, and it happened again. And I had a good friend in the, from the Canadian military who, who, uh, who, who just couldn't stay in this dimension. He 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 just couldn't stay. He needed to end that. And I thought, how oh, tragic is that? And and then I found out from another friend in the military, Canadian military, that there's a fraction of the counseling and therapeutic help for PTSD here that that there is in the states. And and I thought, well, let's we we train these people to deal with the darker element who don't have empathy for others. We train these people to go other places and deal with some very scary dudes and they come home and we turn them out to pasture and say we'll go where you want and they don't know where to go or how to handle it and it's it's uh it just seems like our responsibility as the people who trained them was not complete 
without having some place for them to go. And so then I felt very fortunate that these these that I was equipped to handle these stories, and I was equipped to have them ride beside me in complete silence, and then ride beside me and chatter my ear off till it was like a fly in my ear, because it was necessary. If they could deal with that, then I can listen, and I can help how I can. So, so now as you progress through, through your career, how do you use the horse to, to kind of get through to some of these vets? And how do you use the horse to help get through to some people when you're doing your workshops? Well, I see the people with the horse, and they say, well, this is other people as well. Anybody watching will say, well, that's a really troubled horse. And then I look back at the person again, and I see an energy around them that is the source of the, all the energy around them. So I'll elaborate a little bit deeper. I see a person on a horse who the horse is fidgeting. His ears are stiff. The feet are going. He doesn't know where to go, but he's trying to avoid and do anything he can to stay away from this feeling, away from this feeling, but it's with him. It stays with him. And then I look at the person's hands, and they're busy, and it's exactly what's going on inside. And so if I can find one little thing that the horse can do for that person, it's easy. Ask the foot to go here. This foot. What about the right front foot? Well, how do I get to just the right front foot? And is it important? Well, yes, it is, because when you release on it, and you ask the foot to go and you release, the horse knows it's done the right thing. And the horse, that's a great reward. All they really need from us is to know that they did something right. And the release is what gives them that. And then the human feels like they got that. And it takes a longer time for the human than it does for the horse to realize just how important that was. And so these little things are very important for the human as well, because we uh, we judge too harshly. I myself have, have been that way. I'm, I'm human, and I've... I've, uh, I've got a back trail like anybody. And I realized that when I stopped judging others, I was able to forgive myself more. And I was a way lighter. There was way less weight on my shoulders. So now we're able to pay attention to what the horse needs. We see how he works his feet, how he weighs with other horses. And then, as a result, we can get the person to realize how important those four corners are. Do we have this foot? Do we have that foot? Do we have that before we go? Now the horse is attentive, it's paying attention, and it's in a better spot to receive the human and what we need from them. But we have to be able to extend that to the horse first. We have to make that first choice. We put the halter on them. You already made the first step. And I, I watch other guys with their horses, and so many times, whether they've had service abroad or at home, so I do a certain set of things with my horse. This is important. He doesn't need to have his head bent back too far, otherwise I'm always bringing his shoulder in. Sometimes he needs to step under his belly to bend here to come back, and I take it slowly. 
it should be slowly at times. Sometimes it needs to be a trot for the horse to feel the change more so that the energy is up a little bit more. But they should start at a walk. They should learn this, this way. And it's good for the human to get accustomed to that. And if I look at that man and he's balled up inside or that woman and they're balled up inside, then I just say, I've got this issue with this horse. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And then they'll grab it or they won't. And then I do it again. And I deal with my issue instead of focus on theirs. And then looking at mine, they can then pertain that to their own. It's incredible how the horse is a vehicle to get through to people. And we've discussed this so many times on the show before, but you know, when, when one's trying to fix themselves as the human, right? No matter who we are, or how strong we are, there's always that fear or reservation of judgment. Yet the horse can present the same exact set of facts or the same exact help that another human would present, but the horse has the ability to eliminate that fear or element of judgment. And once we start to break down that wall there, uh, serious recovery can start taking place. It is amazing how much the horse will give us and still try to adapt. Because the cow, the horse, they all adapt. And I've looked at certain situations in that lifestyle and I've thought to myself, um, if I could become that adaptable. But they didn't hold it against me. Either they liked being there or they didn't like being there. An interesting story, my... my um, my brother, um, he, teach, he teaches martial arts, and he's a master in martial arts, and he teaches a lot of young people, and he saw energy in me a long time ago that was just bursting out at the seams, and he was surprised that I could make it to the end of the day losing that much energy. And, and when I'm around people, it was, at that time, it was, it was right out there. Like, this was shortly after that my my uh my troubled time and uh, the it, the energy was around people was um was really chaotic and yet when i got around a bunch of young horses colts because we would uh we'd wean uh 24 colts in saskatchewan and keep them overnight at my parents place and then haul them two long days home to british columbia for remounts for the outfit for Kushana. and and I'd stand around and be out and I'd just look at them running around, make sure they're all okay, and just so proud of our pick. My wife and I picked them. And um, my parents would they were so happy to see all them colts. They loved to have a corral full of colts again. And and they'd all come and stand by me, and my energy felt so good, and they would not leave me. They couldn't leave me. And my brother, he said, we took two, two um, well-witching rods. And he said, I'm going to show you something. He said, hold these well-witching rods out. And he walked out to a distance of about 60 feet. And he walked towards me, and when he got about six feet away, the well-witching rods closed in. He said, don't believe it? He said, I'll do it again. And exactly the same place it happened again. The well-witching rods closed in on me. He walked out to 60 feet away, the same place, and he got his energy up. Like he would if he was in the ring, he turned around and walked towards me, and he got about 20 feet away, if that. And they both hit my arms. They just swung back in hard. He asked me to do that same thing. 
He said, imagine you're in a bunch of people. And I turned to walk towards him, and I never took 15 steps, and they were already moving. So that energy was, was emanating from me that far. He said, do it again, exactly the same place again. It was shocking. He said, now be, close your eyes and think about what you feel like when you're in that corral full of colts, and they all need you, and they need a mama, and they're hanging around you, and they're touching you with their nose, and they're, and they're, and they're nuzzling you with their muzzle. And, and I did, and I walked towards him, and I just about touched them rods before they started moving. So we see what our thought process, how it becomes energy, and how the horse, when we go to catch him up the night before we've had a bad day, he looks at us and he says, oh, no. And he starts snaking around through all the other horses trying to avoid us, peeking up over top one's back to see if it was him that was, was the center of attention, and it was. Or if you stand outside and you've had a good day and you're laughing with some of your partners, all of a sudden they're bothering you and they're in the way. And that's the difference. So what was your last thought before you went into that pen? You know? <laughs> it's incredible. If we only had the the awareness ourselves, right? Oh, yeah. Like a, a fraction of what they had would be wonderful. Yeah. And, and some people do have that ability. Some people do have that ability. And we look at it and they say, well, that horse really wasn't the trouble that I thought it was going to be. And, gee, that horse just seemed to be born broke, and I really didn't expect it to be. Well, you were right. But the person... His chi, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. was right. They felt yeah. good there. And you know what? They're so smooth. It came across so smooth. You don't hear a lot of stories from people that are smooth. Um, you hear a lot of wrecks, and you hear a lot of gory details about the business, and you think, well, that's got to be a tough rascal. But through it all, if he lived, he would have learned something about this energy and thought process and what that does for you thought process is very important and and um and uh, you know god has been very 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 patient with me i imagine he looks at his his uh, jigger bosses up there and he says look at the young miles he missed it again let's plunk <laughs> it down in front of him again <laughs> uh, the grace and beauty of it right <laughs> Yeah, sooner or later he'll get it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But that is when when you allude to the beauty of it that that is just it with horsemanship, right? There is there is so much reflection and awareness and improvement uh, that has to take place to really become good at it, and it does take time, and it does take patience, and it does take forgiveness. And I think when you start to apply a lot of those attributes to your life. Right, we're able to right a lot of wrongs, and we're able to find a lot more comfort in ourselves, in our own skin. And and once that comfort starts to grow within, uh, we can start working on the circle around us. Right, and it just builds momentum. And as that circle gets oh, better, the circle begins to grow. That's right. Um, you know, my wife has a uh, her nickname is Possum because she comes from Louisiana, and they got a saying down there, grinning like a possum, and and and. She she did grin quite a bit, and you know, especially before we got married. <laughs> I was going to say, but she does, and she said to me, you know, as she has a, a couple little sayings that are, are pretty cool, and and I use them because uh, because my middle name is plagiarist. <laughs> anyway, she said, <laughs> uh, you know what? She said they're just doing the best they can with what they got, and it's a yeah. very pure saying because. 
I've um, I, I I do see, and my mind is has the ability to as much as it's been bashed around, it still seems to absorb some stuff. And um, I've learned something from so many people, and that saying there itself really does help me a lot when I see people that are having trouble with a horse, and I feel badly for the horse. I'm working with a horse now that is 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 troubled. She's such a beautiful animal, and and um, uh, you know, I think why why did they miss that? And I thought the next very next thought was, well, maybe one day, maybe something I could help with. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Miles, we have covered some ground in in the last hour that we've shared together, and I I am very fortunate and I'm very grateful for the time that we have shared together, but. I want to, as we kind of get towards the latter part of the episode, you know, you'd, you'd cracked the joke about it earlier in the show about the book that you had written. I do want to spend some time in talking, talking about it and, and what the book entails and how folks can get their hands on it, um, because I think there's so much value in it, and it seems like such a relatively simple concept in which it was written under. Mm, you know, that's interesting because um, there's been so much that I've kept close to my chest for a long time. As everybody does, um, you know, and I mean, everybody does have a story. And that's another thing Possum says, it's everybody has a story and they do. And she pushed me to write. A lot of people did. My parents, my brother, uh, our friends, my in-laws, uh, a lot of people uh, thought it was unique and, and it should not be left. And so I did. I did write some uh, there's quite a lot more to go into it it was a small book because our friend uh our friends who helped us with the book to get it published said let's let's just cap this at this it's a smaller book and see what this is all about and uh so there'll be more going the next one and since it was published i i uh, i laid awake at night a lot of times thinking to myself what did i do what have I done to myself? <laughs> I've, I've, I've opened myself up for conjecture, yes, yes. for judgment. And you know what? There's only only one judge. And that's not my place or anybody else's. And now that it's out there, it's been like I let the cap off the well and she's a deep one. <laughs> and everybody's got a story. <laughs> that so is true. Very my true. My wife has, a, yeah, it's a, my wife has a, what you call a, that email address on uh, on our mm-hmm. website. She created this website, and uh, with help of uh, a couple of friends, very good friends. Well, I've, I've had a lot of, I've had a leg up from a lot of people, man. <laughs> and, That's what it takes. Um, oh, sure it does. So you pay for it if you can, and and um, so the, she advertised that book on there on our website is her is her uh, email address to order it from and. And uh, I'll send you one, and um, hopefully somebody will get enough from it. I've had a few people say they've started writing their own story down, so to me that's quite an honor because I'm really flattered that somebody would have got that much from it. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to it showing up here and, and getting into some of those pages and peel back the layers and, and see it through. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, it's an introduction to... Uh, a life of a guy going places a horseback and gathering gathering knowledge on the way. And uh, towards the end of shows, I also like to give folks the opportunity. I know you'd mentioned that technology was definitely not your strong suit, but 
are there social media uh, outlets or or the website in which people can go to to find out about the book, to find out where you're hosting your workshops or kind of what your calendar is throughout the year? Well, we have uh, Miles Kingdon private account, Miles Kingdon horsemanship account on Facebook. We have uh, um, MilesKingdonHorsemanship.com is the website. Our calendar is is on there. We've had more people phoning for booking, so all of the all the uh, events are not on the calendar. But it's uh, it's been pretty busy, and and uh, it seems like it's gained an energy of its own, and and um, which is really good because we weren't sure. Uh, it was hard for me to not look back at the outfits. That was my home. You know, they opened the gate, and I looked around, and I thought, I just want to run back up to where I lived, <laughs> where I spent my yeah. life. You know, yeah. so now going yeah. out there and 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 learning how to how to advertise and promote yourself, which I am not good at, but uh, I've helped people with the horse a, a little from time to time. I'd like to think, and and uh, that seems to be gaining quite a bit. Oh, and and people, I want to mention this. This is important. If people are important to you, you'll be important to them. And and people like Jonathan and people like Bruce and people like uh, Peter and and Stan and and there's a lot of great horse people out there, men and women alike. And they've I've gained something from all of them. And people and there's, there's a few of them that have really, really wanted to see me do these things even those like jonathan said one time no no don't put a mic on him yet we just got him in the round corral he's gonna bust out <laughs> <laughs> oh what an incredible journey and uh it's very much it's very exciting to see see the growth see the progress see your development and i like to close every episode with each guest and give them an opportunity to kind of share you know, maybe a life motto or words to live by and and in the experiences of Miles Kingdon, is there something that you can share with folks in closing? Gosh, that's, uh, you know, I guess where I'm at now, for example, doing the workshops, if we train people and we, we help the horse, is that really enough? The horse was there to assist us and that's the thought process I'm on. So, I looked at the horse and I thought, how can I help that person? Because the horse will give them what they want. The horse has built civilizations for us and torn them down. And what we put into that is what we'll get back. But if we can't help the human with it, how does he able to help the next horse that he bumps into along his trail? And I think it's important to realize that Everybody doesn't have the same tools in their toolbox. They're just trying to do the best they can with what they got. And some of the most successful people I've ever known have picked themselves up off the ground and dusted themselves off over again. So if we can help them so that they don't have to dust themselves off too much, I think that's a legacy worth leaving behind, don't you? Absolutely. So so much of horsemanship is just that, and I've found that in my pursuit that you know, I start out with a passion to want to help horses, but then the deeper I get into this, uh, what the horse has given me, I tell people I could, I could live a thousand years on this earth and I don't know that I'd necessarily be able to ever pay the horse back. The greatest improvements that I have had is when I, when I work on myself, 
right? The horse just follows suit after that. I would like to add one little thing here. When my, my parents, I grew up on a mixed farm, like I said, and they used horses for everything. And um, and they did say, and I heard my dad say it. He said, you know, they're, they're, they're here on this earth for us to treat with respect, use them as we need them, and treat them with respect at that time, too. And and um, that was the basis to everything, that you can build a lot on that. Yeah, there's not more true words. I tell people that, you know, God has blessed you with that animal and and placed the responsibility of that animal's care in your hands. And think about that the next time you take your approach to your horse, because there's going to come a day where you got to answer for it, you know, and that kind of puts puts life into perspective for folks who are a little bit more heavy-handed or aggressive or disrespectful with a horse. Well, comes a time you got to stop and think about it, doesn't there? You know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just you know, we try to do, we try to do, we try to do, and maybe some of the most important things we can do is plan for doing, thinking about it. Yes, sir. So much of life is a reflection, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. It really is. Yeah, it's shocking sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk with you about these things. It helps me out a great deal to be able to talk about these things, and, and, and if maybe somebody gets something from it, then that's excellent. You're a good listener. Well, sir, I am very grateful for all of your life and what you've shared with us, and, and it's been an incredible journey and a very emotional hour, you know, but there's so much value. And like you said, everybody has a story. And if we could help make it a little easier on the people that walk the path behind us, then then let's do the best that we can with it. And, and Miles, I do wish you the best. And I know this isn't the end of our relationship together. You know, uh, you had mentioned you're going to be coming now to California here the latter part of the year. And hopefully we can get together and, and talk life and talk horses and see if we can put something together. Yeah, I'd like to shake your hand and put a face to the name and have a coffee with you. And, uh, yes, sir, absolutely. I can help out with, some, with, a, with a program of yours. I think military and police and, and PTSD are in, this, uh, in these nations of ours are, are something that, that is, not, is well spent time. Yeah, we're definitely at the forefront of something truly special, I believe, and, and we'll continue to work at it the best we can. Yeah, sure we will. All right, Miles, well, you have a good rest of the day, and, and we'll talk to you soon. You as well. Thanks again. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.